0: Hello Full Life, I'm so sorry I can't be with you today. I caught some kind of bug that just makes me so sick. Uh, so I decided to record it this morning, this Sunday morning. I hope I can last <laughs> You know this. Uh... Anyway, let's just get to it. Thank you so much uh, for praying for me. Please continue to pray for me. And for everyone else who's sick out there, I'm praying for you as well. Uh, let's get to our passage today. Um, you know, I was I was about to begin a series in Mark but i came across this brief series by andy stanley who's one of my favorite preachers and i after watching this series i was like wow this is pretty amazing it's a great introduction to any of the gospels and so i thought uh, before i get into any of the gospels or whether it's mark or john or any of these things those are the two i was thinking about um i thought i'd Kind of share this series with you because I thought it was pretty amazing. Now, so so obviously, what I'm gonna about to share with you for the next four weeks is not an Eddie Bang original, uh, but that's no different to basically any sermon that I preach because all of our sermons stand on the shoulders of giants before us. So, uh, but but to begin, uh, let's just get right into it. I want to say this for those who grew up in the church: there is something that we hear so often, you know, that we don't even think twice before we hear it. Uh, even when we hear it, we just think, okay, we just believe it. But the thing is, it's a crazy fact, it's a crazy statement, because if you didn't know anything about Christianity or religion, this particular statement is a pretty far-fetched one. And so here it is. Christians believe that God actually became one of us, that he actually became a human being. You know, we believe in a lot of crazy things in Christianity, but the reason why we do is because of eyewitnesses who wrote those things down, you know, when they saw them, and they passed it down from generation to generation. And one of those guys was a guy named John. John wrote the fourth gospel called John, and John was no different than the other apostles. He walked the earth, and I bet John was absolutely in awe and really wondered who this Jesus was really all about, and I'm sure he was utterly disappointed when Jesus died and was crucified upon the cross. I mean, if you thought that Jesus could be God, his crucifixion kind of proves that he wasn't, right? I mean, God can't die especially by the hands of human beings. But then three days later, he sees the empty tomb, he sees the resurrection, and was like, all right, this guy is God. And then he spent the rest of his life telling everyone he could about Jesus, just like all the other disciples did. Now, the emperor Domitian, Domitian, um, he got totally sick of John, and he wanted to kill him, but he saw a pattern, unfortunately, and he, saw, he realized that for every Christian I kill, 10 more pop up. So instead of killing John, he exiles him to the island of Patmos, and on that island, John writes the Gospel of John, the three letters, one, two, three John, as well as the book of Revelation. And, but when he wrote the Gospel of John, he decided to write a summary of the life of Jesus, or at least what he saw in Jesus. And that's a pretty daunting task, isn't it? There's so much to write. And he says that himself. But yet, he was able to sum it up. And here is kind of what his summary really is. And, and it's the first two verses. He writes, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So who is this he? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. And Jesus was with God in the beginning. Verse 14 says, The word became flesh and also dwelt among us. So so this says that Jesus became flesh. And he became a man and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt means to camp with, to hang out with, to commune with, to tabernacle with. You know, what this verse is saying is that Jesus became a man. Why? So that he could be with us, so that he could be very close to us. And that's very personal, isn't it? That was intentional. Now, once again, uh, Christians just accept this as the truth but many skeptics i think find it very hard to believe that god would actually do that and it makes sense that skeptics would be skeptical because most people in history especially emperors and conquerors we were always trying they were always trying you know to become like gods they were always working their way up you know uh the divine ladder emperors like sear uh caesar nero they actually declare themselves gods all humans kind of want to become divine in some way. We still do, don't we? But do you know what's interesting? What's interesting is that no God in any other religion in history ever came down. You know, as a matter of fact, no God would ever come down. It was unheard of. And so 2,000 years ago, there was no way that anyone would have thought that God would ever become a man. And then to come as a baby, a newborn baby, to be that vulnerable? No way. That's absolutely Crazy, But that's the thing about Jesus, isn't it? No one would have made up this story in those days. No one would have imagined this and then to write it all down and to pass it on. It's either the biggest lie, or it's absolutely true. true. But the men who saw, who were there and saw all this and said all that that this is exactly what happened. That Jesus Christ was born this baby. He became a carpenter. He started this ministry. We saw all that he did. We listened. We watched it all. And we wrote it all down. And when it was all over, John comes to this conclusion, doesn't he? He says, God came. God came and dwelt among us. The question we want to answer in the next few weeks is the why question. Why did Jesus Christ come to dwell with us? I mean, why would God choose to come and dwell among the chaos, poverty, war, terrorism, suffering that is humanity? I mean, if you've been to church, you know that Christians always say that Jesus Christ came to die and to pay the penalty for our sins, which is totally true. But there was so much more that Jesus wanted to do and teach us while he was here. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the first reason why. And we'll find it in a discussion that he has with his disciples near the end of his ministry. And to set up the scene, Jesus is telling his disciples uh, that he's about to leave. He's about to go to heaven. But he tells them not to worry. And the moment that you tell people not to worry, what's the first thing they do? They worry. Peter asks, hey, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus is like, hey, where I'm going, you can't come. But Jesus, we want to go with you. I mean, we'll do anything for you, Peter says. And Jesus basically says, well, maybe another time but Jesus senses that all these disciples are worried about him leaving. So Jesus addresses his worries, their worries in chapter 14 and in verse 1 this is what he says. He says, "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." Right? And that's absolutely crazy once again because has anyone has anyone ever asked you, "Do you believe in God?" And I'm sure all of us have heard that question. We're like, yeah, we believe in God. But then can you imagine if the person said, hey, but if you trust in God, you cannot trust in me because I'm basically God. What would you think of that person? Yeah, You'd think that person's crazy. He's a psycho. No one says that. But Jesus did. But once again, this is either completely ridiculous for Jesus to say or it's actually true. The thing is, John wrote this down and everyone else agreed. That it was true so he continues to write this interaction in verse 2 and 3 He says in my father's house there are many rooms if it were not so would i have told you that i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and i will take you to myself that where i am you may be also and to be honest with you maybe you didn't understand those two verses definitely those those disciples had no idea what jesus was talking about so they're like jesus where are you going and what's this? What's all this talk about preparing rooms and coming back and taking us? What are you talking about? And just as they were at the peak of their frustration, Jesus completely frustrates them even more. And he says in verse 4, um, And you guys know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says in verse 5, Wait, hold up, mate, we don't even know where you're going. But now you're telling us that we know the way to get there? Trust me, we don't know the way. And all of a sudden Jesus answers in verse six, he goes, yes, you do. Because I am the way. And what he's saying there, Jesus Christ, is that since you know me, you know the way I am not only the way, but I'm also the truth, the life, and no one comes to the father except, except through me. I am the only way that you can know God. I am the only way that you can be saved. The thing is, can I just take a little aside here? If uh, if you're a non-believer, and you're listening to this message, can I just encourage you um, if you're going to reject Christianity for any reason, can it be because of this absolutely narrow statement that Jesus says? Jesus says the only way that you can be saved and go to heaven and know God is to know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Yes, that's really narrow. Yes, that's offensive. But that's the truth. And if you're not going to become a Christian because of that truth, absolutely fine. Because that is the truth. But please don't reject Christianity because of your Christian friends or because of the faults of the church. We're all sinners. We're all We all make mistakes, but please make this truth the reason why you reject Christianity. Anyway, to get back to the story, you know, Jesus says, makes that huge statement. He says, if you know him, you know the way. And then he continues in verse seven. And Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Quite honestly, that's a little bit of bad English. So this is what the better translation would say this. Jesus is saying, since you know me, you know my father. And once again, Jesus is making a huge statement here, isn't he? He says very clearly that if you know Jesus, you also know God. He's equating himself to God. And so he continues and says from, that, from now on, we do know him and we have seen him. Now, as clear as that might be to us, the disciples once again had no idea what Jesus was talking about. That's proven in what Philip says in verse eight. He says, Lord, show us the father and it will be enough. And what what Philip is asking here is very simple, but very profound. I bet a lot of us have asked this about God or to God a few times in our lives, because it's that big of a deal to all of us. And what he's saying is this. He says, Jesus, some of the words that you're saying are just confusing. So, so can we just cut to the chase here, Jesus? Look, if God would simply make himself real to me, if he would simply show himself to me, if he would simply appear to me, talk to me personally, call me by name, speak to me personally, then not would I know. Not only would I know that he's real, but I would also know that he actually cares about me. And if that happened, that would be enough for me. That would be enough for me to trust him during the tough times. That would be enough for me to confidently tell everybody else that I know about him. That would be enough for me to truly surrender my life to him every single day. right? You guys ever ask God that? Just show yourself to me right? You ever want that? Of course you did. You might even want that right now. That's what Philip is asking right here. We just want that confidence about God, Jesus. So show us God, and that will be enough. But how does Jesus reply in verse 9? Jesus says, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? And here, Philip is thinking, is he saying what I think he's saying? And Jesus continues in verse 9 and 10. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. And what Jesus is saying here is absolutely monumental. He's saying, if you want to know the Father, if you want to know God, I am as good. I am as close as it gets, right? And to make it even clear, look at what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. And what Jesus is saying here is that he's saying the words that he's speaking are not even his own, they're God's words. God is speaking through him. And if you want to hear what God himself is saying, listen to Jesus. Listen to the words that I've said. He says, that is God. And this is a truth that all of us need to embrace. If you want to know what God thinks about what's going on in your life right now, you got to listen to Jesus. If you want God's attitude and perspective towards the things that are going on in your life right now, your money, your career, your relationships, your witness, just listen to Jesus. Why? Because he speaks the words of God. Everything that Jesus has spoken in the Bible are words that come directly from God himself. So if you want to know what God is saying, listen to Jesus. And then he goes on verse 10. It says, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Not only does God speak through Jesus, Jesus saying, But here, Jesus is saying that God is also doing his work through Jesus, which means that if you want to know what God is up to, watch Jesus. How would would God react to that situation in your life? Or how do you think God would react to that type of person if he met him in your life? Jesus says, watch me, and I'll show you how God would react. You will never get a better picture of who God is and what he would do than Jesus Christ. Do you guys get this? Right? This is pretty huge for Jesus to say, isn't it? But it answers the first question for us today. Why did Jesus come into the world to become a man and to dwell among us? And here's the answer. He came to communicate and to demonstrate what God is like. You see God desired to connect with us so badly that he wasn't satisfied in sending down any more information, especially religious information, he sent himself. God wanted you to know him as personally as possible, that he showed up as a man to take as much of the guesswork out as possible. And so that you could understand him and so that you could connect with him. You see, God looked over humanity that's constantly trying to find God. We're all trying to find God. We're all trying to know God. And he realized that even though we had things like the Old Testament, even though we have shadows of of who he is around us, we're just not going to get him. We're finite beings with a finite understanding. So he decided to come down to us so that we could see him, hear him, touch him, feel him, and know him personally. He became one of us and dwelt among us so that we could know him, so that we wouldn't have to spend the rest of our lives guessing about who God is and what he was about. And this is really important for you, for all of us to understand. Jesus didn't claim to have the best explanation of God. He didn't come to this earth trying to explain who God was and describing him and teaching about him. No, he didn't do that. But he claimed to be the best explanation of God. And the reason why this is important is that we, once again, are always looking for answers. We are always looking for explanations to everything. We as preachers, like people like me, you know, we're always giving explanations of God, of scripture, of Jesus, of faith, right? Jim, Jesus simply said, I am the explanation. And what Jesus is saying is that you'll never get any closer to knowing God than by knowing me. And if you want to know God, you got to know me personally. And if that's true, that's absolutely awesome. But if that's false, then all of us should reject this, shouldn't we? But what is Jesus ultimately saying? He's saying that your best opportunity to know God is knowing Jesus. By listening to what Jesus is saying, by watching what Jesus does, you have to... Get to know the person of Jesus Christ to truly know who God is. And the reason why this is significant is because I think a lot of Christians or some Christians in this world today have a tendency to look in the wrong places to try to find and know God, okay? Did you ever realize that? Here's one place that I believe Christians kind of look in the wrong places to find God. And you know, it might be a big one for a lot of us, but it's our circumstances. Right. Even as Christians, we're constantly trying to piece together things in our lives to try to find God or to recognize God within our lives. Am I right? Something happens to us and we say, ooh, that was a God thing. That was God right there. God did that. Have you ever said that? Usually it's about the good things, right? Um, but the problem with that is that we're absolutely terrible in interpreting all of our circumstances. And here's proof. And almost every Christian has done something like this within their lives. You know, we say stuff like, oh, man, it was totally God's will. It was a God thing. he gave me that job in that company and then all of a sudden three months later when the company has the worst financial quarter and lays everybody off and lays you off you know you're like oh man where is god right that's happened to all of us you know another example might be like you're praying you're a guy praying oh god give me this girl i want to date this girl so badly you're praying for like five months give me that girl your parents who know how jacked up that girl is all of a sudden is like praying against it god please don't let them hook up because she's trouble but then five months later you guys start dating. You're the happiest in the world. God, thank you so much for giving me this girl. But because she's so messed up, she breaks up with you like two months later and you're absolutely heartbroken and you're like, oh my God, why are you, why are you doing this to me? But then all of a sudden, five to 10 years later, when you finally meet Mrs. Wright and you look back upon that dating relationship, you're like, oh my gosh, thank God that never happened. That never really happened. You know, phew, thank you so much saving for saving me, Jesus. Do you see, we're like absolutely schizophrenic in the way we interpret, you know, our, our Our circumstances, aren't we? You know, was God there or wasn't he? Was he a part of it or was he not? Which one was it? We got to choose. I think it might be fun to do. It might be fun to look at our circumstances and try to interpret it in that way. But honestly, we're absolutely terrible at interpreting our circumstances. And if we have to figure out who God is and what God is like by our own ability to interpret our circumstances, we're not going to get very far, right? Don't look at your circumstances to find God, okay? Okay. Here's another wrong place that we look to find God, religious traditions. You know, many of us grew up with a lot of religious traditions, maybe from even different faiths. You know, some of us grew up Pentecostal, others Presbyterian, others other Catholic, you know, who knows? Um, some people grew up Buddhist. And every, you know, and everything that we've ever heard from any one of these traditions about who God is and what he likes and what he wants from us and what the church is supposed to be like, that all affects how we, See God and perceive who God is. But the problem with religious traditions in general is that no matter how good they are, they're simply traditions. They are traditions that systematize, customize, overemphasize, and even fossilize God. You know, they do. But the reason why is because it comes from a good place. You know, I'm not trying to say negative things about religious traditions. The world is always looking for answers about God and people like black and white answers. And so religious traditions were created to make things clear to people, right? God is like this. God is not like this. But the problem with the world is that it keeps on coming with brand new questions. You know, has everyone ever taught children's ministry? You guys know, you know, children come up with new questions every single week. There's always one student who's asking those tough questions like, hey, teacher, did God invent Instagram? You know, and if you don't know how to answer that, then it might not be satisfying. Apparently, I heard that Steve Jobs asked such a difficult question like that about the suffering and why does God allow suffering? And his Sunday school teacher gave him such a bad rote answer that he just said, oh man, this is not worth following you see, and he walked out the door. And that's what I mean by systematize. You know, if it doesn't fit into our box of understanding or our way of thinking, or even our own theology, then all of a sudden we, we get nervous. You know, we also customize, we also overemphasize. You ever notice that certain religious systems love looking at certain parts of scripture, but pray to God that they don't look at the other parts of scripture. Like charismatics, we love the end times. You know, we love the Holy Spirit. Reform guys, we love uh God's sovereignty, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, both, both camps hope to god that you know their people won't ask about the other parts of scriptures that seem to say otherwise you know religious traditions many times are helpful in understanding certain aspects of faith but what's difficult is that what's a big deal today is not a big deal tomorrow and there's always new questions to ask especially in theology and the questions that we couldn't quite answer yesterday we can't today but the problem is there are new questions that are that the next generation is going to ask tomorrow so as good and as helpful As religious traditions are, if you're trying to answer the question of who God is and what he's like through religious tradition, you're always gonna be limited. You might even be outdated, right? Perhaps that's how some of you guys feel already. People have gone through the church system, right? We've thrown all this teaching at you, but the system won't really teach you about all that God is. So let's get a little bit more personal. The biggest problem that I have in my faith is that my relationship with God, unfortunately, um, is a reflection of my relationship with my earthly father, which was totally like messed up for most of my life. And it's it still influences the way I see God and the way I understand God. And that's something I'm, you know, little by little learning to overcome. And maybe for many of us, the way we view God is very powerfully influenced by what happened at home. You know, it's also formed by our experience maybe with how the church handled our parents' divorce or how the church handled money or the way your elders may have fought and split the church, right? All those are experiences put together somehow, some way. Those things have taught you about who God is, right or wrong, and they stayed with you very, very powerfully. So religious traditions, they're good, but they're flawed and they're limited. There's a much better way to understand God, and that's Jesus. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Two other places really quickly that we try to find God and understand God these days, Maybe it's a little outdated, but number one, the first is within. Did anyone ever say that to you? You got to search for the God within. It's very popular. You know, I love things like meditation. I love things like practicing solitude. But these days, people are told to try to find the God within. Uh, But the problem with within is that uh, we're limited to what's within. And God is much bigger than what's within. The real problem is that your 20-year-old within is much different than your 30-year-old within. You know what I'm talking about? Wait till you hit your 40-year-old within. And then for me, my 50-year-old within, I don't even know what's there, right? And if you're taking any kind of medication for like ADHD or depression or anything else, sometimes you have no idea what's within. You know what I'm saying? Getting quiet and meditation, it's great, but it's limited. Lastly, uh, a lot of people try to find God through things like nature. And the thing is, nature really is beautiful. It's majestic. But it's really only beautiful and majestic from a distance, you know. Either on the Discovery Channel, or National Geographic, or from a long distance, you know. And, you know but because, and the real the reality is, because nature, it can be really dangerous. It can be dirty. It can be ugly, you know. When you look see bears feeding on salmon, they're going upstream. You're like, whoa, that's amazing. It's beautiful. But up close, do you want to be close to a bear? I don't think so. You know, you're a dead man. It's different, and that's because nature all around us. Nature is all about survival of the fittest. There is no grace in nature. There is no compassion in nature. These might be the two greatest characteristics of God, along with so many more that you will never find in nature, no matter how long you stare at it. And that's why Jesus coming into this world is absolutely amazing. God wanted you to know him so well and so personally, right? Uh, he That's all he wanted. And so the God who created traditions and within and nature, all those things, He said he's the one that said, those things are not enough for you to know me. So I am going personally to become one of you. Jesus Christ came, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us to communicate and to demonstrate exactly what God is like. Do you guys get that? It's pretty powerful, isn't it? You know, what does that mean practically for us? It means practically this. If, it means that in your search for who God is, if you go past Jesus, you're moving past God, right? He's not really out there or over here. He's in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent him so that you could know him. And if you stop short of Jesus Christ in your search, then you're always going to fall short of your insights and your understanding of God because Jesus is God himself sent to communicate and to demonstrate who God is. I don't know where you are in your faith journey today, but my guess is that most of you are still searching for God in some way. But what a tragedy it would be if we spent our whole lives looking at our circumstances, our traditions within ourselves and nature. And if we concluded things about God through our experiences and hearts, but never actually looked at Jesus Christ himself, his words, heard his words, watched his actions. Jesus Christ came so that you could know who God is. You need to start looking at Jesus seriously today if that's who you want so this is what i'd like to do uh, i'd like for you to do here's homework i'm gonna sign homework you know, we might start a series on mark very soon why don't you just read through the book of mark and uh and the one question i want you to ask yourself as you read this is what do we learn about the father from the son what do we learn about god through jesus and next week we'll go through a passage together and we'll learn something even more amazing about jesus God. Let's pray. I'm just going to close us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he didn't claim to have all these explanations about you, but that he was the explanation. And we thank you, Father, that we have this person of Jesus Christ that we can hear from, that we can read about, that we can watch ourselves so that we can know about who you are. God, I pray, help us to find you. Each one, each person that's listening to this message, help them to truly find you through Jesus. And Lord, may Jesus Christ be everything to all that we are in our faith walk with you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.